Mitro. Welcome, fan of the Brahma Samhita. Ganamrita Brahma Samhita Dwipunti Prana. At the Adikeshava Temple, Mahaprabhu acquired these two books, Krishna Karnamrita and Brahma Samhita. It's mentioned Siddhanta Shastra Nahi Brahma Samhita Sauma. Siddhanta Shastra Nahi. Nowhere in the scripture can we find a more concise presentation of the Siddhanta of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than Brahma Samhita. Nahi Brahma Samhita Sam. Nothing equals that found in Brahma Samhita. In terms of a concise presentation of the, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach. So it is mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So you're correct, it's a special book. You had written me about that, right? I didn't get to answer the question, but as you can see, it didn't pass me by. Important book. Actually, the book that I've just completed, Commentary on Gopal Tapani Upanishad, there are a number of parallels between that and uh, some sections, the earlier part of the Brahma Samhita. Of course, that Brahma Samhita that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu found at the Adhikeshiva Temple is the fifth chapter of the Brahma Samhita. It appears to be an otherwise unheard of book. Therefore, some people criticize that it's not an authorized book, but that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wrote it himself. And our reply is, well, how much more authorized it must be? <laughs> but it seems unlikely that uh, that would be the case since Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't write much at all. He was not known for, for writing. He was known more for teaching by his example. That was the whole thrust of uh, his Acharya Leela. Generally, an Acharya will write a commentary on Vedanta Sutra in order to establish his school of, of thought. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did not do that, as we know. And one of the reasons, of course, is that with regard to Vedanta, and a proper understanding of it, he felt that that was completely explained in Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam, Amalam Pramanam, Vaishnavanam Priyam. The spotless Purana, it said Amalam Puranam and Amalam Pramanam. Pramana means evidence, Amala means spotless, without any, uh, any fault, any defect. No influence of the modes of nature. Other Puranas, of course, are said to be ministering to the Sattva-guna, Tamaguna, Rajaguna, people under that influence. But Srimad Bhagavatam, Dharma Projita Kaita Utra, Paramo Nirmat Saranam Satam. It is the book for the Paramhamsas. And also further described by two nice uh, words. Satam nirmatsaranam, truthful and without any envy. Envy is most unbecoming quality for a devotee. At any rate, this is Paramhamsa Marg, Srimad Bhagavatam. Spotless Purana and spotless Praman. Praman means form of evidence, scriptural evidence. This is the strong opinion of the, uh, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, as explained in some detail by who? Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha. So, 
we put much stock in that. And Mahaprabhu therefore didn't pan any commentary. He felt that all the commentaries were somewhat uh, artificial and unnecessary. If we have a commentary in the true and full sense of the term, it is the Satsandarbha, which is Jiva Goswami's explanation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's reality by way of citing evidence from and explaining Srimad Bhagavatam. Later, Baladev made a commentary, Baladev Vidyabhushan on Vedanta Sutra, but that was a provisional type of commentary, and there are some differences there in his uh, explanation than that of Jiva Goswami, slight differences. So at any rate, Mahaprabhu didn't write much. He wrote eight poems. We know Shikshastakam are attributed to him. Some people say he wrote a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, and they have a copy of that somewhere in Bengal. But uh, our charges have not um, brought attention to that, and in that sense they don't acknowledge that that was penned by him. And again, it's unlikely that he would have written the fifth chapter of the Brahma Samhita in the first place, and secondly, uh, as I'm mentioning, and secondly, because the very way in which he sought to teach primarily was by example. So that wouldn't be a good example, would it? To have written uh, and then said somebody it came from somewhere else. And so, no. no. So he found that book and Krishna Karnamrita, and he liked them very much. He gave them to Ramananda Roy. And Bhakti Vinod Thakur wrote a commentary on that. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur translated that commentary into his own English. That's the commentary that we have, sometimes attributed to Saraswati Thakur, but actually, if I recall correctly, it was originally written by Bhakti Vinod and based on the commentary of Jiva Goswami. So in the beginning of that book, Brahma Samhita, fifth chapter, the beginning of the fifth chapter, there's some explanation of how Brahma received the Gopal Mantra and Kam Gayatri, some explanation of Kama Bija and so forth. And this is explained in in more detail, the significance of the Kama Bija, Gopal Mantra, Kam Gayatri in Gopal Tapani, in the first part of the Gopal Tapani Upanishad. So a very important text in one sense. So, nice to meet you. What are the questions this morning? Yes? We did say in the morning we can ask anything, right? <laughs> you can ask anything. Yeah. Doesn't mean you'll get an answer, but. I wanted to know where the Amma is in Iskan, the mother. Amachi? There are a few different Amas, I think. Well, that lady that just came and gives the hugs, they said that. I don't Amma think she's in Iskan. No, you meant the other mother. Who, who's that person or persons that we can oh, who? think of in the sense of mother? In Iskon? In Iskon. Or in this philosophy. Gaudiya. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Right, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Who's the mother figure? Mother figure. Well, mother is uh, Devi, Durga. Same. I think that she must have to do with what she calls a Durga Bhav or something like that. So, Devi Bhav. Okay. Yeah, there's a book called Devi Bhagavatam also. This is produced by the Shaktas to compete with the Bhaktas who have Srimad Bhagavatam. 
and they like to say that all of the statements in the Puranas, of which there are many, that glorify the Bhagavatam and single it out as the supreme amongst the Puranas, that all these statements refer to the Devi Bhagavat. There's an old controversy. Jiva Goswami himself dealt with it in his Satsandarbha, demonstrating with scriptural evidence that that was not the case, but that the Puranas were all trumpeting the glory of Srimad Bhagavatam. Actually, the name Srimad Bhagavatam, that is the Gaudiya name for the Bhagavat Purana. It's called Bhagavat Purana, but we call it Srimad Bhagavatam to give a special emphasis to that. And it sheds some light, the name, on the Gaudiya's sense as to what the Bhagavatam is ultimately about. Srimad means beautiful. And Krishna is not particularly beautiful without the company of Radharani. Prabhupada made a statement like that, of course. It means that the, the Shakti of the Lord brings Brahman to life. And he looks more beautiful in conjunction with his Shakti. So, this is the emphasis of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, in effect, we are really uh, Shaktas, super Shaktas, it could be said. So, all the Shaktas of who hail largely from Bengal have their Devi Bhagavat, where they glorify Devi, Mother Durga, we have Srimad Bhagavatam and we have a conception of Srimad Bhagavatam that emphasizes the Shakti to the extent that all the other Sampradayas were, uh, Vaishnava Sampradayas had some doubts about, about <coughs> us. You see, because the, this Puranas and Vedas, they're all pretty, um, they're the masculine side of the scripture. And then you have the Tantras and Pancharatrik literature, this is all the feminine side, emphasis on the Shakti. And some people will question that literature. And when we take a book from like Bhagavatam and then emphasize the Shakti in the way that we do, in what way do we do that? We do that in such a way that we find, for example, in the Leela, that Krishna is touching the feet of Radha. This is an unheard of idea. Even in, you have other Vaishnava Sampradayas where the Shakti is acknowledged, Lakshmi is there with Sri. Some people consider Lakshmi a Jiva and so forth. So they don't give a position to the Shakti at all as we do, and even if not considered as Jiva, still she's Dasi of Narayan. She's reverently serving him. He's not henpecked in Vaikuntha. But if we go to Golok, to Vrindavan, we find the Shakti is taking precedence, and God is becoming more charming, right? He's becoming a little more friendly, at ease about himself. <laughs> Someone is making him feel so good about himself that he can feel comfortable in any circumstance, just being himself. <laughs> this is Krishna, and this is what Radha does to him, and that makes him, God, more accessible, actually. It's wonderful, but the more sublime and higher, which would we would think would be less accessible, true in one sense, but 
is, as I mentioned the other night, in the midst of all of that, in the height of that Krishna Leela, we find the esoteric appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which then makes it accessible everywhere. So, this is, as I say, one of the reasons why the different Sampradayas, they kind of questioned the Godias, this emphasis on Shakti and all. But uh, Mahaprabhu did not write, but Jiva Goswami, other Sanatana Goswami and so forth, they wrote so many books and explained. Baladev is also, we do consider Baladev, obviously, one of our charges. He wrote his Sri Basha, excuse me, Govinda Basha. His Sri Basha is of Ramanuja. They're in the Lakshmi Sampradaya, but we give more <laughs> praise of Lakshmi and Sri than their Sampradaya. To the extent, as I say, that these all these sober uh, Vedantic schools question this upstart group of the Godias. But at the same time, as I'm saying, that we are kind of a super Shakta group. We're Bhaktas. And the Shaktas, they, in one sense, are in religious competition with us. They wouldn't want to put emphasis on the Shakti, but they do it in a way that's different than we do. Another name, it is mentioned in the scripture, that another name for Radha is Durga. So Durga means difficult to go. Durga means difficult. Go, go. It's difficult to go from. So difficult to get release from Durga. It also means like <coughs> citadel, like prison. Difficult to go from the influence of the material world. But Durga is another name for Radha. It means difficult to go to. And she has got Krishna imprisoned, <laughs> wrapped up, wrapped around her finger. So she is the supreme Shakti. Krishna is the supreme God. Swayam Bhagwan and Radharani is Swayam Shakti, supreme principle of Shakti. So when the Lord appears in different forms, as Ram, Shringa, and so forth, he has his consorts. So those are all expansions then of the Shakti Tattva, coming from Radha. She's the fountainhead of that. So it also goes to goddesses of the demigods and who are partially representative of Krishna. They are partially representative of her. And then, of course, Durga, the whole principle of Maya Shakti. Durga is Maya Shakti. So they sometimes Durga is portrayed as a mother. We are in the womb of material nature. Bhagavad Gita, this material nature is considered to be, is described, I think, in the 14th chapter, to be like the womb into which the seed of consciousness is impregnated by the glancing of God. So, in this way, material nature is sometimes compared to, to the womb. And at the same time that mother is comforting, she also sometimes uh, has to... Uh, educate and even chastise the children. So the kind of, uh, if you will, uh, negative uh, influence of, of Durga is that kind of chastising. She has a role that is um, not very palatable to her because she is also devoted to Krishna. But she has to deal with people who aren't. And even though Krishna loves them, they're not devoted, but Krishna loves them anyway. And she has the thankless task of chastising them. And it's not very palatable to her. 
but it's necessary in order to, in a roundabout, a negative way, impel them in the direction of their good. So we look at Durga in that way, and we see her, as I'm explaining, as a manifestation of Radha. Radha doesn't as much conjure up the sense of motherhood, obviously, as uh, Durga does, but this is all explained in Brahma Samhita, actually, in a concise way. So we are super shaktas. We worship the shakti, but the parashakti, not a parashakti, parashakti. This is the shakti that presides over the leela of the Lord, makes it move, gives life to Brahman. Very different idea. So the shaktas who worship Durga, for example, in Bengal, where it's very prominent, what is their objective in worshipping her? Their objective is mukti. This is what they want. Either that or bhukti. They want material enjoyment. For the most part, they want material enjoyment. They worship her for that purpose. And amaji, amaji? Amachi. Many people I know, they go to her and they seek a material benediction. They have something in mind and then they get a hug and they hope that it will come true, and sometimes it does. Many, many people. And maybe some people want liberation, although that's certainly the lesser sector of the society. Maybe they prayed to her for that. So she, I don't know much about her, but she had an interesting childhood, and she's a mystical type of, of a person. She used to do the, the, what they call Krishna Bhav and Devi Bhav, but the Devi Bhav was more popular. So she stayed with that. I think that many people follow her because they have a kind of a, I don't know, people feel that they'll be less likely to be exploited by women spiritual leaders these days. That's one reason. And the concept of motherhood and all is uh, is comforting and securing in some way. Brindaran got a hug from her once. She got a name from her, but she ended up here, so before she joined me. <laughs> she, yeah, she prayed for Krishna Bhakti, I guess. You know, she, she wanted something. Maybe she didn't know, but she did. She was looking for something more. So Amma sent her here. You know the song, Bajahure Mana Sri Nandanandana. It said that the devotee, Govinda Das, who wrote that song, was a shakta by birth and circumstance, but he had desire to know God in a way that was not possible, simply through the worship of Durga. But he was approaching Devi, because that was the tradition that he was in. But she recognized what he was about, what the nature of his aspiration was, although he could not articulate it, she could understand, he wants something more than what I can give. So she gave him this just at this prayer, which is Bajahure Manasrinandanandana She told him to worship Govinda. And so the song came from that. He approached the wrong person with the right idea. Some people approach the right person with the wrong idea. Some people approach the wrong person with the right idea. So anyway, she sent him to the right place. Durga also is the deity presiding over the Gopal Mantra, which is the 
the principal mantra of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, Krishna mantra, Gopal mantra. This is all explained in this mantra in great detail in Gopal Talpani Upanishad. So she presides over that. You can find in Brihad Bhagavatamrita that the, the devotee had the similar aspiration, approached Durga, she gave him the Gopal mantra, said this, you should, you should worship Gopal to get your desire fulfilled. So, someone who truly represents Durga in the full sense, if someone has some Sukriti for Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti, Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti, and goes to a manifestation of Durga, then she will send them here to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. You were telling me the other day that I should see Sachi Ma and um, show them my yes Ma. Yeah, that's a higher thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If we develop in our Krishna consciousness, then our ego will come out, our spiritual ego, our identity in relation to Krishna. And so if we are to foster that, then we will have to think in a different way about who is our mother, who is our father, because that identity is, includes having a mother, having a father, having a house, residence, friends, associates, everything. So at least in a general sense, with regard to our spiritual identity as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, for the most part, we've come to Gaudiya Sampradaya, this community, this lineage, because we are attracted to Brajananandan Krishna, Krishna of Vrindavan, which is what this Sampradaya is about. Mahaprabhu said he came to give the love of Vrindavan in four kinds, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya. And he himself tasted all these and particularly tasted the Madhurya in a way that gave him access to the experience of Radha. And that kind of sadhana is taught in other types of sadhana also with regard to developing that spiritual identity in Braj, in the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So we're basically, we've, we have some attraction to Krishna Vrindavan Krishna, that's why we're connected with this Sampradaya. Now anybody can be attracted to this Sampradaya because it also preaches in a general way, in a broad way, about bhakti and and so on, the supremacy of Vishnu, Narayan, Krishna. And Mahaprabhu himself is Swayam Bhagavan, the Mahamantra, the Nam Mantra that we chant primarily, Hare Krishna Mahamantra, this is a universal mantra, so if you want to go to Vaikuntha, you can worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and chant Hare Krishna Mantra, and you'll be very successful in that regard. Gopal Mantra, we have Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana, Balabhai. The whole range of Krishna Leela is found there from Dwarka, Mathura, Raj, you know, those names, Swaha. So all possibilities are there, but the particular focus of the Gaudiya Sampradaya is obviously the Braj Bhakti. Within that, it's the Bhakti of Gopi's love, and emphasis also on Sakya Bhakti is there because of the influence of Nityananda Prabhu. So, with regard to that, in a general sense, then, we should think. In the morning, we sing at our monastery, Itai bai chalayase tabe shuklambar hase sab marma shiva sasridhar sadjohote tule tomai sachimatomar Jaigo Chandravila, Audarja Apar, Chaliasi 
Jatabhadra Mahilargan. So it is mentioning about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's waking in, in the morning. Nityananda and friends come to the door, and Sachi goes in and wakes him from his bed. And other elderly ladies like Malani, all in Batsalya Bhakti, they come and they perform the Arctic for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And all the devotees are taking great relish in this. And with regard to Gorlila, then we should think of our identity there. Well, my mother is Sachi Mata. You have a particular mother, that's another thing. And Vrindavan, my mother is Jashoda. You will also have a particular mother, but she is the mother of Vrindavan, main mother. So all the coward boys, you know, they will think not only that they have one mother, but a number of mothers, but they have to all take breakfast at Krishna's house in the morning. He cannot be happy without their company while taking breakfast in the morning. Radharani is coming and cooking, and Rohini also, Mother Yashoda arranging everything. So, in a higher sense, and thank you for bringing the point out, we shall think of Mother Yashoda as our mother, Sachima as our mother. This is in a more precise, but still in a general way with regard to our identity. I'm a resident of Vrindavan. If you are a gopi, you think, I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj with Gauji as my brother-in-law. Gopis will think like that. I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj means I want to be wedded to his son. And his elder brother, Gauji, that means Balaram, he will be my brother-in-law. So, this is the mother conception of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The Gopas, they'll also think like Jumuna, like mother. Sometimes we say Jumuna Mai. Gopis won't think exactly like her as mother, but cowards are privileged to think like that. There's all Mother Yashoda, Sachima, same. They are Shakti Tattva. We are also Shakti Tattva. They are Swarup Shakti. We are Jeev Shakti. They will nourish us so that we can reside in that sector. Although by nature we are prone to this condition, they are not. Surrounded by that Swarup Shakti, then we are no longer prone to this. No possibility. Jesus' soul can live in both sides still his natural position because he's constituted of chit consciousness rather than matter is more to be in relation with chit rather than with matter but chidananda to live in the realm of chidananda requires this uh, ingress of swarup shakti into the jiva and then he can live as one of the members of that realm. It's like a welfare state where everything is provided. And although we are not fit in and of ourself in terms of our constitution, we may have Ananda, Ananda Khan, Chitkanu, only particle of, of that within us. So we need to be in touch with a greater source and then just like if you're a drop of water, you bring in a touch with a body of water, and the drop becomes big also. You have capacity to exist in that realm. Then we have a mother there and father there. And that's a specific thing. But in general, we have Nanda Maharaj like our father. As much as every uncle, there's a father. And mother, so there's our mother.
This is the Gaudiya conception of Ma. And that you cannot get from Ama, but she may send you here. That is your destiny. Yes? This is kind of thinking that it seems like there's a lot of wounded people in the world that need to have a, a physical manifestation of a nurturing personality. And it seems that's what part of the attraction is to someone like that that gives physical hugs and is physically present. And so how to give that within Gaudi Vaishnava tradition, how we can provide that kind of nurturing from the physical plane as well as be a good mother. Be a good mother. Right. If every woman is a good mother, then that problem should be solved. If every father is a good father, then that problem is solved. But we can get on to more important things. But of course, that's not always the case. And <laughs> there are many dysfunctional families and so forth. So then, for we have professionals like you <laughs> to assist in that regard. That's your work, right? I think that should be sorted out from the spiritual, per se, although they obviously they're related. Yes? I wanted to ask you, when you were talking before, you just mentioned offenses and the question that I've had for a while. How do we know if we've made an offense? You know, like it's not something apparent, and along with that, in our spiritual practice, I believe at one point, somebody asked Srila Prabhupada, and Prabhupada said, if you're not making any advancement, you're doing something wrong. So, an additional part of the question is, if we can see in our spiritual practice that we're not making progress, is it because of offenses, or is it just because of, like, improper practice? Well, your first question was, how do we know if we've been, a, if we made an offense? Mm-hmm. Well, um, one answer to that, that there's, there's a whole list of offenses given for save Aparad, Offenses to the deity in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. You may have the nectar of devotion, Prabhupada's summary study of that. So you can know if you committed one of those offenses. And if you do save Aparad, how you counteract it? You can counteract save Aparad by, by Nam. So you can, by singing the names of the Lord or reciting scripture, like Bhagavad Gita or something, before the deity, you can counteract any save Aparad. So seva, puja, that is subordinate to nam, that is pancharatrika, and nam is bhagavat. Therefore, even if we may forego seva, puja, in favor of nam, nam bhajan, or real enlightened uh, preaching, then there will be no aparad. It may appear to be aparad, but if it's compensated for by preaching, if someone has to leave the deity for preaching, then even though the details of the puja may not be in place, it will be counteracted. So, there's seva aparad. There's nam aparad. These things are all explained, right? You can study nam aparad. You can study what is the seva aparad. Then there's dham aparad. You have to go to the dham, be there to make a dham aparad. But the dham aparad is similar to nam aparad, to think that the dham is mundane, and so on and so forth. And then there's Vaishnava Aparad. And that is particularly un- underlined. Avoid that. Because we get the uh, opportunity for Krishna consciousness from the Vaishnava. So if we offend the Vaishnava, then opposition is not good. So we should be particularly careful about that. And with regard to that, then, we can offend with our mind, we can offend with our words, we can offend physically. 
Vaishnava. And we can offend neophyte Vaishnava, intermediate Vaishnava, or superlative Vaishnava. So, if we offend in the mind, we can counteract it in the mind. If we offend verbally, we can counteract it verbally. If we offend physically, then we should do service to that Vaishnava. But the spirit behind the Vaishnava Aparada is one of malicious intent. It's not a mistake, really, uh, as much as it really implies some maliciousness involved. So I wouldn't get too mental about it. And sometimes the principle of Aparada is is abused in order to intimidate people and promote a fear-based type of um, engagement and involvement. So that's not appropriate. So it's not so easy to offend a Vaishnava. I find people are like, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. If there's any offenses, they, they think they're making offenses and making me uncomfortable, like they're walking on eggs or something. I have to tell them, just relax. It's okay. <laughs> So then, how you and you said how how will you know if you're making that was the first part. How you know? so there are there are those offenses, and then whether with regard to Vaishnava Prad, you search your soul and you think you've been offensive to some Vaishnav, then in what way, mentally, physically, as I say, verbally, then you can deal with it, you can rectify it. And whether it is because of offenses that you're making progress or something else, it may be something else, not making progress, excuse me, it may be something else. It may be that you don't recognize that you're making progress and you're expecting more than you should be. It's considerable progress just to have gotten a human form of life and in that life to have been connected with, with this ideal. That's a huge thing. One of my godbrothers once told Shudamarsha, I'm not making any progress. He responded like that, no progress? You have human life? You've come through 8,400,000 species to arrive here, and you're not making any progress. And on that, you have connection with the, with the Sadhguru. My godbrother Vishnu Janmarsh used to say, the distance we have gone before meeting our Gurudev is far greater than the distance we have yet to go from here, from this point on as far as high as the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, this short hop from here. So, progress is there, and also we may, because of previous lives involvement, we may very quickly progress up to the stage where we left off in the previous life, and then it becomes harder at that point to go to the next stage from Mishta to Ruchi, or as may be the case. So, whether or not you're making progress may or may not be something that you alone are to determine. Because if you are left alone to determine, then sincerely you may say, well, I'm not making any progress. But from the vantage point of someone else, an advanced devotee may see everything's all right, everything's in order here. The guru may seek to put foundational kind of stones in place in your spiritual life. And when you put the foundation in, you know, it looks like nothing's happening, really. If you go down to view your new house and you're just digging a hole in the ground, you think you want the house go up. It's, gosh, it's a, it's a long way from here. But, of course, that's required. And sometimes you have to dig deep because you're going to be a big house, a tall house. So, I wouldn't be too discouraged 
then again, it's good to think, well, I'm not making much progress in one sense, and as long as that doesn't become like a neurosis. But if you feel that you're not making much progress, then, and that's what you want, to make more progress, that should be some negative impetus to apply yourself. And, and one of the best things, the best thing that you can do is to seek out good association, because then you get inspiration, new insight, and that will then fuel your practice. And you have to keep regularly in touch with that. At your stage, that's what's most important, keeping in touch with advanced devotees that will carry you, carry you to the point where then they think they can let you go and, and you can go a little bit on your own and make progress. Mostly our progress is made in the beginning stages because of being in company with the company of someone who's advanced. Vicariously, we're making progress. One of my garbhadas said the other night we were sitting around the fire and somebody said to him, oh, Brahma, you're, you must have had so many spiritual experiences. And he said, what did he say? Son? I experienced spirituality vicariously in relation to Maharaj, you know, like sitting around him, then I make, then I feel like I make progress in, in spirituality. <laughs> so that was a generous statement on his part, but this is indeed the principle. Otherwise, it may seem a little slow going. It may not be due to offense, but it may be due to uh, so many things in the past. And people come to bhakti through different roads. Some come out of distress, for example. Some come out of desire for improving their material situation. Some come out of a kind of philosophical inquiry. Some come who are already in knowledge. So those who come who are already in knowledge and who come in the inquisitive, philosophically inquisitive, they will make progress much faster. When Bhagavatam says, Sadyohudayabhuridhyatetrakitibhisushushuvistakshanat, immediately, desires to read Bhagavatam, Krishna becomes arrested in that heart. This means for Gani who comes to bhakti, whose heart is already cleansed. So in the cleansing of the heart, as much as that's required, well, then it may not seem that we're making much progress. Just like if you start to clean your house and you find, oh gosh, it's so dirty, and you look under the rug and there's so much under the, move this chair, and you might get discouraged. But you have to keep at it. So this is the first stage, Chetodarpana Marginam. And there may be more cleansing for some of the heart than others. Like I say, if you come out of philosophical inquiry, this is the primary motivation, uh, or out of actual being in knowledge, the jnani, then like in Jayavadharma, Vijay Kumar and Vrindavan, they were of this, these two types. So we find they advanced very quickly through the different stages. But if we come out of material distress or in want of material acquisition, then that means the heart is, requires more cleaning, understand? So it will take longer. So these, of course, four categories are given in the Gita, and there are many shades and overlapping and, and so forth. Everyone comes with some philosophical inquiry, but there are other things looming there also. It may be motivated by who knows what, psychologically, uh, superficially at least, for coming to bhakti. So it may not be due to offense that one is progressing more slowly than others, but because of the past and that there's more work to be done than the other has done previously, previous life, and so forth. But be sincere. This is the main thing. Nahikalanikut kasjit durgatim tattagachati. If 
Krishna says, whose sincere sincerity is invincible. It's really quite simple. Once Prabhupada was asked about yoga, he said, yoga? Oh, we just pray to Krishna, oh my dear Krishna, please help me. That's yoga. That's all. So try to pray. This is, I can tell you, my own personal testimony that prayer is very powerful, pandanam. You can chant and be inattentive, but it's hard to be inattentive while praying. The chanting should be prayerful. That's another thing, but often it's not. But if you make conscious prayer, it's hard to be inattentive, isn't it? So you pray to be sincere about being sincere. That was my always prayer as a young, young man, young brahmachari. I always prayed every day. I could be sincere about being sincere. And when you pray, you see, you, again, the chanting is, is a prayer, but we often just move our lips. And because it's in a Sanskrit and all, we, you know, we, and it's in a, it's a code, it's, you know, it's, there's so much in there that's not apparent on the surface, just making a sound, the outer sound. And when you pray, then all the, you see, if you go before the deity, before the Vaishnav, and pray sincerely, and it's said that what comes to the surface is all the things you know you have to get, at least in the immediate, that you, you should be dispensing of. It comes to the surface real quickly, not a big puzzle. And then you have to listen to that. Oh, yes, yes, I'm praying for this, but I'm holding on to that, or whatever, that's apparent. So, it's very effective. You pray sincerely to make advancement, and then when you chant, you'll be thinking about what you prayed. And so try that. Bhakti is an exercise of the heart. Unfortunately, we often go through the exercises of bhakti without exercising our heart. So you think about that, how much you're exercising your heart, or how much you're just going through the motions mentally, intellectually, physically. So sharanagati, this calls progress. This is the stage on which the drama of bhakti is performed. So if you want that a drama of bhakti to appear, you have to build the stage. You put the stage in place in your heart and then you can say, coming soon, the greatest show on earth, <laughs> appearing in my heart, soon coming, the stage is erected. It won't come out without that stage. So sharanagati, accept things favorable, give up things unfavorable. It's all part of Sharanagati. It's a, a kind of a spirit. Uh, it means to have the heart in the right place. Satyakori magi ami sukhomala pran. We pray like this in the morning. Satyakori ami magi sukhomala pran. Tava piti bine prabhu na chahibohan. This is Sharanagati. Satyakori magi ami Sukhomala. Satya means truth. So I, I make my prayer that, oh, one day I could say truthfully, I pray with a soft heart. Sukhomala. Komala means tender. Sukhomala pran. It's a way of saying, with a tender heart, with a sincere heart, I make this prayer that one day I can actually say, Satyakori magi ami sukho malapran tavupriti bine prabhu na chahibhavan that I don't want anything other than you, my Lord, Sriman Mahaprabhu, that I don't want anything. When can I truthfully say 
I pray that I don't want anything. Amiketu China, Amiketu China. I don't want anything but you and your service. When I can say that, yeah, I see this is like saying, when can I be sincere about being sincere? Something like that. So you can sing like that and know the meaning and exercise your heart. Then you will make progress for sure. You will make progress every day. You can make progress every day and you can feel you're making progress every day. It's not because of offense, but it's mostly because of not applying yourself. And why we don't apply ourselves? Because we're distracted. And why we're distracted? Because the material nature is powerful and therefore we need good company. Krishna's in your heart, but he's speaking softly. The guru comes, sadhu comes and speaks loudly and drowns out all the other dictates that we're under the influence of the mind and the senses tormenting us, dragging us in six different directions at the same time. So he comes and speaks loudly and then we get focused again. So this is most important, this principle. Keep the company of the sadhus. And, and of course, we, the times in which we live, maybe you could say it's a little, a little difficult. A fellow wrote to me and said, I live in a distant place. There's no association here, and so what should I do? I said, move. <laughs> you want to think about it. What's important in life? We could try to create a situation where, like we said, for example, we send CDs to people, subscribe to my CDs, and we have books and internet and so forth. It's some help, no doubt, some help, but you should consider. This is about changing, about changing your life. Not that you stay where you are in your, in your present status and become Krishna conscious, you have to pull up the roots. So, What's important to you? This is the most important thing. Everything else is a sideshow. Don't make Krishna consciousness the muzak of your life, just in the background going on. No. It has to be reversed. That let that material, all the pressing demands of of the world, be the music only, and Krishna consciousness be the, the main focus. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said like that. He said, "Well, I don't have any love of Krishna. I've not made any advancement because I'm still paying attention to all these things like eating and sleeping and." If I had any love for Krishna, then I would have died a long time ago because I would have felt his separation. But I don't. In spite of being in his separation, I'm going on maintaining my insect-like existence. This is how he looked at just the regular bodily uh, functions that we attend to. So, how many things we are preoccupied with beyond that. It's all anarthas. One of my disciples recently wrote me, and um, he was uh, kind of preoccupied with uh, classical Indian music and singing and so forth. He really liked it a lot and saw it as a spiritual kind of a thing. I never discouraged him about it, but he spent a fair amount of time on it. So he wrote me and said recently that he had made a prayer 
that his life was busy and he wanted to have more time for spiritual practice than what was important. So he made a sincere prayer and it became apparent to him immediately, why don't you give up this music stuff, classical music. So he wrote, I've, I wanted to let you know, I've given up this classical music, life is short, now I'm chanting 20 rounds a day and I'm feeling so much better. So when a guru gets a letter like that, then that's much more pleasing than a $500 check that we can also use in Krishna's service. And that is an extension of ourselves, no doubt. <laughs> it's sacrifice and it's much appreciated, but this is real wealth. This is real gain. Giving up is an art and liberty. Not that he's attained an art and liberty, but this is what an art and liberty is about. We do our bhajana kriya, our practice, so that the superficial, unnecessary things that are distracting us can be retired. Some things obviously we may have to do, our occupation, whatever, our livelihood, but so many extra things may be there, unnecessary, unwanted. One of my godbrothers is a sannyasi, and he is associated with uh, Srila Sridhar Maharaj, and he used to play the Esaraj. You know, Esaraj, it's a kind of an Indian violin. He used to play that, and so forth. So he was living at the Moth, and one day he just decided, I just put this aside, this Esaraj. So then Sridhar come to the uh, Anartanivriti. The devotees were kind of surprised. They thought of if he was giving up the movies or something like that. Then, but so so many things are superficial and unnecessary. And as it becomes clear to us that that's the case, something in particular is getting in the way of my progress. As much difficult as it may seem to give that up, if we give it up, we find oh, we've been relieved of such a burden. That's what he was telling me. He said, I was so attached to that. I thought, how I could possibly give that? But it became clear. I should, if I'm really sincere and I want more time, this is the thing that I don't have to do. I've got to go to work. I've got to maintain the family, this, that, the other thing, whatever it is. But this is part of my free time, so I'd rather spend that in Krishna consciousness. He said, and when, I, when I gave it up, immediately I lost all interest in that. He was finding it rather magical. An art of liberty. These things are holding us back. Anartha, it's unnecessary. It's an artificial necessity. It's superfluous to what my real need in life is. What else? Yes? In terms of chain chakra, I, in discussion with God Brothers, was told that, uh, you know, hearing, of course, is important, but we should just hear. You hear the name and call off the name loudest and listen as you chant. But uh, someone was discussing with me a book recently that they read, and he was uh, saying that uh, one should actively consider Krishna or Chaitanya Leela, Guru Rupa, as you're calling, you know, fill the man with those considerations as you're, as you're calling the name. Mm-hmm. Well, we teach that in the name, the rupa, form, guna, qualities, and lila of Krishna are found. In Bhakti Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami gives a development 
in dhyan. Dhyan means meditation. So japa is a limb of dhyan. Unless it's done out loud, then it becomes associated with kirtan. But generally, japa means the silent or inaudible uttering of the mantra. So, he gave a gradation. Nam smarnam, or dhyan, rupsmarnam, gunasmarnam, lilasmarnam. So if you can at- attentively do nam smarnam, then the, the form of Krishna will become arrested in your in your mind. Actually, I should say, if you do nam smarnam appropriately, you will recognize the form of Krishna. It means when you see the deity, you will see with affection. And then, because you do nam smarnam attentively, before you see the deity with affection, in the form of the deity, you will naturally think about, because it's his name that you're chanting. And then, as you progress, then the, the mind will become permeated with the qualities of Krishna. And then the heart eventually will become permeated with the leelas of Krishna. So Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur did not recommend a forced meditation, in a sense, but more of a natural development through purification of the heart. So Jiva Goswami clearly explains in Bhaktisandarbha that you don't sit down to do Leela Smarnam, you sit down to do Nam Smarnam. And as you become proficient in Nam Smarnam, Rup Smarnam, Guna Smarnam, Leela Smarnam, so forth. So I don't know the book that you're speaking about, what has been said there, but I would recommend that you can do Nam Smarnam and Rupa Smarnam. You can chant the name and you can meditate on the form of Krishna. Fix your mind on the form. That'll be good. In my own experience, it's very natural for me to do the Nam Smarnam and Rupa Smarnam from the very beginning. Eventually I found that the qualities of Krishna would come to permeate my mind, so I have experienced it comes in a natural way rather than in a forced way. As I say, I haven't read the book. I don't know what book you're talking about, but some people do advocate kind of a forced, so to speak, meditation. And they reason probably that, well, you have to try to fix your mind and so on and so forth. But again, everything is in the, is in the name. So if you pay attention to your chanting, all that should develop. There should be a little hesitant to accept advice that is intimidating and fear-based, as if what you've got is something incomplete and lacking. You haven't got anything incomplete. Some people preach like that. You shouldn't be intimidated by that. All these things also, if you're going to do Leela Smarnam, then it has to be done from a certain vantage point of who you are, what relationship with Krishna from that vantage point. These are not just for anyone and everyone to do. These are advanced souls are sitting, chanting, and through the name they're experiencing the form, the qualities, the leela of the Lord. So, all right, we talked for some time. We'll stop there. 
जय श्री ऐसी भक्ति वेदांत स्वामी प्रभुपात की जय श्री भक्ति रक्षक श्री गोस्वामी महाराज की जय भक्ति सिद्धांत सरस्वती ठाकुर प्रभुपात की जय श्री भक्ति विनोद परिवार की जय जय श्री श्री गौर नित्यानंद की जय श्री गिरिराज गोवर्धन महाराज की जय जय श्री श्री राम एंड कृष्ण की जय श्री गौरी अट्टी ठाकुर श्री श्री राधा महाराज मोहन जी की जय राधा गोविंद देव की जय राधा गोपीनाथ जी की जय श्री वृंदावनेश्वरी श्री राधे की जय और भक्तवृंद की जय और प्रेमानंद की